So I'm talking to uh, Tom McPhail, uh, who was until today Head of Policy at Hargreaves Lansdowne. He's now, as per this morning's shock announcement, leaving pensions, indeed leaving financial services to work at an e-bike manufacturer. Uh, he will tell us a little bit about that in a moment. But as a man who's been dealing with journalists for years, he cannily controlled the narrative by making the announcement on Twitter by saying it's a bit of a change. Secretly, I think maybe I care a bit more about bikes than I do about pensions. <laughs> it only took me 53 until 53 to realise that. So, Tom, in a moment, I want to talk about this idea of career changes. But tell me, uh, what made you take the leap? Thanks, Will. So um, I, I've been thinking about it for a couple of years. Uh, I've been immensely fortunate to work at Hargreaves Lansdowne. I've been there since 2002. Uh, it's been uh, an incredible experience to join a small private company and watch it grow into a FTSE 100 business, the behemoth, the monster that it has become today. Uh, and I feel like I've been really privileged to be part of that experience. Um, and to see you know, how the business has grown, the number of clients, over a million customers now, 100 billion, well, shrinking the amount of assets under management. But however, uh, I, I just, um, and, and perhaps uh, some, some of the people listening to this uh, will recognize that I'm, I'm 53 and I've spent my entire pretty much adult working life working in financial services. And so there's just been this growing nagging sense of there's something else I want to do with my life. And uh, is it, possibly whisper it something more to life than pensions um and uh without actually knowing entirely what it is that i wanted to do so i'm involved with a couple of charities and so there's been just other stuff going on in my life and i've always enjoyed outdoor life and climbing and cycling and it fell running and all the rest of it all good stuff um and i've stayed in touch with this this, this guy it's the only person who'll give me a job in fact he's the guy who recruited me to hargreaves lansdowne 20 years ago um and he left after a while having done pretty well out of flotation with, with a bit of money um and he's done various sort of venture capital bits of work over the years and we'd stayed in touch on and off um and i knew that he'd set up this business uh of uh, electric scooters and electric bikes and bicycles and really interesting stuff happening there. So um, the fact that it was him and the fact that it was this guy Adam Norris kind of helped a bit because, because I knew that he could do interesting and exciting stuff there. Um, and it just, everything clicked into place. And in fact, the context right now of the COVID and the impact that's had on our lives also just gave it an extra kind of salience right now. So all, all the planets just kind of lined up. So the decision process took place after the crisis hit, after lockdown, maybe. Correct. Yes. And, but but it, it was it was the culmination. I mean, you know, I've been talking to friends and family for probably a couple of years about thinking about, you know, what's my exit strategy? How and when am I going to move on from Hargreaves Lansdowne? Mm -hmm. And there was never a sense of wanting to go to another business in the industry because I mean, genuinely, I think it's been a great business to work for. And just to swap Hargreaves Lansdowne for another similar business would be a bit pointless. What I actually wanted to do was to do something else entirely. That, that, that sense had been there for quite a while. And then it was crystallized by, partly by the opportunity arising um, that just fitted the kind of thing I was looking for. But then also the circumstances and, you know, the fact that there's government consultations out about transport policy right now you know everything fell into place it's like right i must go and do this now 
but I couldn't make that decision if it hadn't been brewing for, for a couple of years. Yeah. So what, what are you going to be doing there? So um, I don't have many skills, um, uh, but what I, I, I kind of I have some experience, at least if not actually skills, at talking to the media and doing lobbying work. So it's kind of it's public affairs, it's PR, um, it's policy work. Um, so taking what I've done in financial services and reapplying it to a different industry, that also appealed to me because it kind of felt a bit safer. It's something I kind of know how to do, but it's doing it for something I, you know, I do care passionately about and really enjoy and, and can really immerse myself in. Um, this business, it's actually, it's not a manufacturer, it's a retailer of, so, right. so they, don't, they don't make stuff, they, they import electric scooters, right. um, they, they sell electric bicycles, they've just bought a chain of 11 bike shops from Halfords. And their ambition is to transform how we, how we travel over short distances, uh, how, we how we commute, how we go to the shops, how we go to school. Um, you know, there's, there's such a massive opportunity there. Mm -hmm. Two thirds of all the journeys we make every year are less than five miles. And how many of those journeys could be done on two wheels rather than in a car? What can we do to influence government expenditure on, uh, trans on cycling infrastructure? Uh, you know, first, first thing we need to do with that is get electric scooters legalized because they're currently illegal, which is a bit awkward for someone who's just gone to work for a company that's selling these things. But yeah. I'm confident that we can, you know, there is this consultation out at the moment. We can get the government to legalize scooters and then we can build on that from there. Right. Yes, I, I did want to say using your existing skill set to move to a new industry, not in reinventing the wheel, so to speak. Oh, very good, Will. I see what you did there. Are putting some ele electric motor in it. Okay, I think it's gone. <laughs> um, that's very interesting. And, that's, and that also, it's, very, it's a very post-COVID world type story, isn't it? Because we're all reconsidering how, our, our, tra our travel routines. And, obviously, and I think most people are saying, I don't, I don't want to work in, from home forever or entirely, but I want to cut down the amount I'm commuting in. And also, we look at the, the air's cleaner. I think you know something. A lot of people will go back. You know, need the car, but as you say, most a lot of there's so many unnecessary uh, journeys. So who are you going to be lobbying? It's it's obviously it's the it's central government, the the local governments as well. It's 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 a really interesting challenge. So start with Department for Transport, um, and so you know you've got Tran Grant Shapps, who's the current Secretary of State for Transport. You've got the, the junior ministers under him. You've got these consultations out at the moment. The government's looking at how it can decarbonise transport. Transport is the biggest contributor of greenhouse gas in this country, and within transport, private cars are the biggest contributor. So, you know, there's a lot to go out there, but then it gets complicated because you've got to look down at local city level. Even within London, different parks have different rules governing them. So, the seven central London parks are treated differently from all the other parks in London. So, who do you go and engage with? Who do you lobby? It's going to get messy. It's going to get interesting. You know, to what extent can you make common cause with cycling groups who maybe are a bit sniffy about electric scooters? You know, so um, exploring the dynamics of the different uh, vested interests across this industry is going to get really interesting. Obviously, really steep learning curve for me there. I think, uh, yes, you mentioned cycling. Uh, as, you, as you know, I'm a, I'm a keen cyclist as well. Indeed. I've often used that to try and bond with you when I was trying to get some, some story <laughs> of you clinically. Uh, no, no. I mean, but, um, uh, but of course, yes, you know, when a lot of uh, the sort of cycling revolution we've seen in the last few years is held back by the fundamental problem that it's tiring. 
uh, and it can, it, really, it can be it's hard work. <laughs> Tell me about it, especially going uphill, I find. Yeah, it makes you sweaty. It's hard work. You need a, I yeah. also think you need a shower at the end of it. And uh, that's yeah. a very um, unequal situation as well. It's a lot easier for, for guys at the moment than it is for women uh, when it yeah. comes to sort of all the whole routine that you have to go through. I mean, that, you know, that's a, there's another issue I don't want to get into right now, but it's very unequal in terms of what your uh, offices offer in terms of washing and yeah. things like that. You know, um, being able to do something that is basically a bike but doesn't have all those problems attached to it uh, does, does ha definitely have its, have its appeal. Um, tell me about your love of cycling, though, Tom, because, uh, you know, this, this is when did you discover cycling? Because I know you've always felt that like you've, you've done a lot or at least just sort of the sort of person. That's because I'm old, Will. Hours. Yeah, yeah. You might disappear <laughs> for quite a few hours on, on a weekend out on, out on your bike. Um, so, that. Yeah, so um, uh, I've, I've, I've enjoyed doing endurance sports for a long time. I used to do a lot of fell running. I, I've done a few marathons. I did triathlons. I increasingly got into road cycling. I used to quite enjoy mountain biking, but I love road cycling. The problem with road cycling is it can be very time consuming. And, uh, you know, you go out for six hours and kill, kill a day on a bicycle, uh, which is great in a way, but that's your day gone. Um, I, I have a Brompton. I, I commute to work on a, on, a, on a folding bicycle. I come up to London. I sometimes bring my folding bike with me. It's just a nice way to travel. Uh, you can go out and do like an hour or two's bike ride. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm very fortunate where I live in North Somerset, just outside Bristol. There's some lovely roads around here, lovely countryside. So you don't have to cycle to the other side of, you know, down to Glastonbury or whatever to have a nice bike ride. You can, you can do quite a lot that's local. Um, so uh, I th it's a good way to stay fit. Um, I think uh, very low environmental impact. Um, and I'm loving the fact that in the last few weeks there's been very few cars on the road. Yeah. You know, cyclists have massively outnumbered car drivers and, and long may that continue. But the real challenge is actually, it's not, not people like me. It's not people who like putting on weird tight fitting clothing and going out on very light bicycles. It's about, it's about the commuter market. It's about making people who might not otherwise get on a bicycle feel safe to go out on two wheels and my neighbor across the road he's 70 he has an electric bicycle he wouldn't cycle into clifton on a conventional bike but he will use an electric bike and and as you said will you know building on that using scooters for people who might not want to sit on a bicycle or who want to just turn up in their suit already who wouldn't want to do that even on an electric bike so that spectrum of uh, different two-wheeled solutions that are available to people. We need to make this the norm. We need to make people feel like for a journey of under five miles, why would you not use the scooter or the bicycle or the electric bike? Absolutely, and uh, I can sympathise. I live on a hill. So there's no way I can get to work without going up the hill. Uh, and if anyone who knows Crystal Palace area of South London, um, it's an extreme, it's an extremely steep hill. It's not the one that goes into Crystal Palace. It's called, it's called South Norwood Hill. I don't know what, what percentage, but it's, you know. I was going to ask you what percentage it is. You know, unlike France, weirdly, they don't have a sign on every hill to tell you what percentage gradient it is. <laughs> uh, you need to establish the cold, the South Norwood. Uh, but, but, you know, it, it's tough because even with me, I get, I get exhausted. And we found that I could only, because I have to do that trip, I have to go to the, up the hill, down, then back up another hill, then down every day um and uh it it is it actually really tires me out and i've done a lot of sport as you know tom i was a rower yes, yes, I got, yes, I got absolutely. To, know, to love tight fitting lycra uh at too young an, too young an age uh, but um 
but you know, I, so I, I love it. I love, I love being in the bike. I'm, I'm happy, you know, get, get sweaty on it, but it, it was actually tired, tired me out. I was getting ill actually, I think in the winter, just cause I was a little bit too tired. Um, and so, yeah, I could absolutely, even, even someone like me, I, I, I appreciate the benefit there. Um, what, uh, yeah, go on. Go on. Um, I was just thinking, right, we've done a, just a, a bit about um, longevity and stuff like that, you're, you're, the world you're leaving. But we did a, we've done a lot of writing recently about what we call the 100-year life. I don't know if you've read that book. But yes, yes, indeed, Andrew Scott, yes. Andrew Scott, yeah, and he, I interviewed him. It's very interesting. And, you know, he was trying to make the point that in time, you know, you're, you know, people in your you know, 50s, 60s or, or even later, you know, they, they're going to be, they won't be, definitely won't be retiring at 60 at all, anywhere near that, or even 70. Mm. Maybe, maybe they'd be, you know, as you go through those years, um, you, know, re you know, getting some re-education, taking a year out. And it's just very interesting that I spoke, I spoke to uh, Barry O'Dwyer from Royal London, and he yes. was saying, well, I, think that, I think that's happening now. And that's the, and then the day after, <laughs> you, you know, one, one of sort of, uh, you know, biggest names in pensions is, is saying, is saying, yeah, I want a career change. I just thought it's really interesting that, you know, maybe you'd sat and you'd be kind of looking at all these, the, looking at all these numbers and how long you're going to live and thinking, I'm helping other people save for the life uh, they want. <laughs> and uh, I've still actually got many years now of, of, of career left. Um, you know, so I'm not counting down the clock to 60 and I don't want to do something with it. Well, no, and I, um, I want to be able to have the time to go off for a long bike ride when I want. I want to be able to travel. You know, there's stuff I want to do for my own interest. I want to be able to go and do more climbing. You know, there's things I want to be able to indulge myself in. But I think it's also really important to have uh, a sense of purpose and to, uh, to feel like, you know, you're, you're doing something for a reason. And um, my family growing up, you know, the, the, our kids are sort of increasingly leaving home. I don't want to just spend the next 20 years in the golf club you know that's not me uh, yeah. um, and uh the the prospect of being able to 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 have gainful employment doing something that i think is is really worthwhile um is, is enormously appealing to me and I, I genuinely there was a quite a sense of excitement of being able to um to transfer the skills that i've acquired in one sphere of operations in one industry and reapply them into an alternative industry now um, I guess that's not the same as actually learning a completely new set of skills. Uh, I did do a diploma in public affairs a couple of years ago, so I learned more about um, uh, public affairs and lobbying uh, and, and that kind of world, which I'd sort of learned bits about on the hoof and on the job. But, you know, I wanted to formally study that. So I did that, and I guess that was learning a new skill a bit. Yeah. But I think, you know, this is how, this is how it's going to be for increasing numbers of people. And, you know, people like, uh, I was going to say us, not you, me, in their 50s, who, who are still in still pretty good health. You know, it would be just daft to waste all that human capital and go off into retirement now. I would get bored. So um, finding new ways to apply what you can do in, in hopefully socially useful ways seems like the way forwards. As, as you said, very happy at CityWire. Uh, but uh, you know, <laughs> I'm on LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but but uh, what you know, just to, if you just looking back a little bit, just very very quickly, um, so you cheeky questions. What what do you think over your time? What was your biggest? Uh, what do you think was your biggest policy win over over those years? So oh, there's been lots of little stuff. Um, I think bringing SIPs into the mainstream, I think, was a big one. So for example, um, getting the DWP to 
break down the barriers between protected rights and non-protected rights. You know, when SIPs became regulated, I found it really interesting that at the time I had colleagues in HL questioning why why do you want to get SIPs regulated? Uh, you know, we're quite happy here to you know, outside the scrutiny of the Financial Services Authority. Um, and, and my argument was, no, look, you actually, we need we need to come into the centre ground. That's where the future lies. Um, now, I'm not I'm not claiming. I did that on my own, but I was certainly involved in that, that development of SIPs as a mainstream financial product and, and the regulation of them, the acceptance of them by the DWP uh, and others. And I think that was, that was a big piece. Um, uh, so I think, yeah, you know, that was, that, that, that I think was a good contribution to Hargreaves Lansdowne's interest. Certainly. Yeah, yeah. And were, were there any sort of other mem memorable moments or cock-ups? I think the big stuff, so <laughs> lots of cock-ups. Uh, <laughs> too many to go into now yeah, too many yeah. so um i think the period after the financial crisis from sort of 2009 then the coalition government coming in in 2010 and between 2010 and about 2017 mm. there was just this roller coaster of change where we already had auto enrollment in train uh, which was transforming workplace pensions then we had the, the Treasury, we had Mark Hoban uh, looking at the taxation of pensions and we had successive changes to the taxation of pensions as the Treasury started chipping away at the allowances available to us. Then auto-enrollment kicked off. Then, of course, there was the announcement in 2014 from George Osborne about pension freedoms that came in in 2015. Mm. So that period as those pod big, oh, and of course, Steve Webb, the state pension in 2013 oh, yeah. you know so so that, that there was a really really intense period of very rapid change and upheaval in pensions right across state pension workplace pension pension taxation pension freedom all within a six seven eight year period yeah. so that was that was enormously exciting and i felt really privileged to to kind of, kind of been you know that was my job that was where i was supposed to be so that was great fun that's, uh, that's really great, great and gratifying for you to name that period because, of course, I started in, two, in pensions in 2010. Uh, so I kind of, I must have picked the glory years uh, to, 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 uh, to be working doing that. Uh, and of course, yes, yeah, state pension reform, uh, heard, heard it here first, uh, of course, let, let, let's not forget. Um, great, great journalism, Will. Great, great journalism. yeah, exactly, important journalism, as we say these days. Um, but uh, also, uh, and I sort of, um, Mike Trudeau asked on, um, on Twitter, this is really the most important question, what will happen to your at pensions monkey Twitter handle now? Look, it's a good question. <laughs> I, uh, should we retire the pensions monkey? I guess is it was always to, to a protege of some sort. You know, well, the thing is, I have I have a personal I have a personal relationship with a lot of people through Twitter. Yeah. So uh, it would feel kind of weird just to decommission that account. Uh, I'm, I'm not. I'm not sure what I'm going to do with the pensions monkey. And let's let's be honest, Tom. You're still going to be commenting on pension stuff. I'm going to find it hard to leave it alone, for sure. <laughs> and of course, now I will be outside the regulated business of Hardware's Lansdowne. I will be free to lob grenades in without fear of reprisal or consequences. So that's kind of appealing as well. Maybe I'll just become a really uh, annoying voice in the corner uh, and people will stop yeah. following me. Who knows? What do you really think of the pension freedoms, Tom? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> to be continued. <laughs>